Welcome to the Civil Liberties Podcast, a podcast focused on civil liberties at Stanford and beyond. I'm Avi. And I'm Nicole. On today's episode, we'll be highlighting three awesome club members. They'll be sharing their Stanford experiences, why they're passionate about civil liberties, and tips for students to get involved on campus and in their communities. In future episodes, we'll be sharing conversations with students, faculty members, and other experts on particular issues pertaining to civil liberties. This special summer episode will focus on kicking off our year with three great student perspectives. And before we get started, we just wanted to clarify that the views of all speakers in this podcast are their own. So without further ado, we're excited to share these conversations hosted by our fantastic club leaders, Ari and Eleanor. And a special thanks to Arnam for producing all the music used in today's episode. Thanks for listening. Why don't we just start, Fabian, can you tell us more about yourself? Just very brief intro. Yeah, so my name is Fabian Valerio. I'm a rising sophomore. Um, I'm from Dallas, Texas. I was born in Long Beach, California, though. Um, recently, I got to visit, so that was pretty kind of, you know, wholesome. Um, I am the son of Mexican immigrants. My mom came over on a visa to work for a family in Long Beach um, while pregnant with me, and my dad came over illegally. And that's something that just growing up has stuck with me as a part of my identity. The people that I've grown up, I've grown up around have had a similar story with their backgrounds. And so living with that, dealing with that is something that has marked me and definitely just makes a part of everyday life of how I approach life, how I conduct myself around police, how I uh, drive or how I walk around white neighborhoods or, or, you know, predominantly white neighborhoods. And that I think all comes into my interests and my passions coming into college and just like extracurriculars and stuff. Thus, you know, my participation in ACLU. But aside from that, I am someone that's still trying to figure out life, really, which, you know, is, is the case for everybody. But in terms of like a major, I'm undeclared in terms of like, if you ask me what my hobbies are, I have a hard time figuring that out. If you ask me what my favorite like genre, are, genre is, uh, I have a hard time figuring that out too. So I'm, I'm really just kind of all over the place trying to get a little bit of everything. Um, I'm excited to get to campus and meet people. But yeah, that's, that's, I think, who I am right now. That is amazing. Thank you for sharing. And I'm going to, like, push you back a little bit and say, like, you have figured a lot out and you are asking all the right questions. For example, your question on icebreakers being what furniture would you be? <laughs> so I'll dive into all of the, you know, um, all the deeper stuff later, but I would love to know what you think you would look like as a furniture. I'm thinking something tall, like something tall. And I'm short in real life, but like something tall and like helpful, like I don't know, maybe like a coat hanger. You know, like I don't I, like I think a coat hanger. I don't have one in my home, but I imagine they're really helpful. Um, you don't only use them for coats, you know. I imagine you can put a whole bunch of stuff on there. I think I'm versatile. I'm pretty flexible in that way, um, and I think they just look cool too. So Good. that's my awesome. answer. Thank you for, I mean, posing that question in your application and then also answering it. Um, yeah. Let's see. I really want to dig into what you said earlier with um, your family influencing a lot of what you do in college, particularly joining the ACLU. And I know you said you don't have a very clear direction, but like, where do you think that sort of like pushed you in college in terms of interest, what you want to pursue? Um, so 
from the start, from the get go, this is something that you know. A lot, a lot of you know Latino families and cultures say it's it's a don, it's a thing, something from above. I've always had an interest, a passion for community, um, for being a stakeholder in, in that community. I don't know what that meant. I don't know what that passion was, where it came from, how it would man- manifest until high school, where I joined a high school organization. Uh, it's an international nonprofit called the National Hispanic Institute. They're so, they're an organization that I hold very dear dear to my heart, and basically their whole focus is empowering. Latino youth to be, you know, future community leaders and really harness their potential. And through them, I, I understood that I have a responsibility to my community and to the people around me. Um, and so they really were the ones that kind of tailored my interest in community, my passion for helping it, for, for defending it. Um, and I kind of put two and two together, mixing that, those skills and that passion with what I see around me, the news headlines that you get uh, just different instances of disparity and discrimination, but also just seeing my parents uh, and then being scared to do so many things that for other friends of mine, their families don't have a problem with doing. The fact that, you know, we just have to be 10 times more careful with anything that we do it just seems wrong, you know, and it's something that I, I want to change. And I think coming into the ACLU, to be honest, you know, it's, it's I don't know how much of a strong super passion I had for um, like law, right? But coming into the ACLU, um, into this chapter and just learning more about it and, and researching more about it, I understand that law is one of the most effective ways to, to you know, make this change happen. And so I'm still, you know, I'm part of this chapter just to make sure that I am around people that are passionate about this, that are also learning, that also want to learn. And in, you know, in change, that makes me uh, brighter, sharper, puts me around people that I need to be around so that we can, you know, get this, get these changes to happen and make sure these headlines change. Thank you for sharing. It's very inspiring. I'm going to pivot a little bit and just talk about Stanford in general. Yeah, I'm curious how your Stanford experience has been, especially coming in in the whole virtual setting. And how does that play out in terms of what you're looking for when you're back on campus? Mm, yeah, I've thought about this a lot. So being a first-generation college student, I didn't know how much I didn't know about college and college life. And so, you know, way back when when uh, Stanford released, you know, the, the news that we wouldn't be going to campus, I wasn't upset. You know, I, a lot of other friends who uh, whose colleges did the same thing, they were crying or they were really upset or they, you know, had to vent or whatever. And I just didn't feel sad or mad or anything but I understand now it's because I didn't know what I was missing out on and you know in full honesty last year was the biggest roller coaster of my life I had really high highs you know and you know I'm very grateful that I had people in my life um, namely you know my partner and different people in my life that could boost me up Um, but I think I had a a lot of really low lows last year mainly because of school every quarter I think it got progressively worse in terms of like by the time finals came around, by the time the end of it came around, I just, you know, deadlines increasingly and more frequently piled up uh, and, and blew past me. Projects got increasingly harder. I just had a lot of other things to worry about. And I didn't understand, I didn't realize how hard it would be to do school and have that responsibility of being a full-time student and pairing that with also being a son, uh, being a brother at home, um, you know, having to go pick up my brother and leave class or, or 
you know, my computer science classes, I couldn't go to any of my Wednesday classes because I had to pick up my brother um, from school or, you know, at times just having to drop school, drop homework, drop work for my parents. They needed an errand to be run, you know, and so different things like that, but also just a lot of life stuff, you know, life stuff happens and, you know, different things with my family that went wrong or different things that with my partner that went wrong um, and just having to fight with that, but also feel alone because of the virtual setting of this. It's so much harder to make friends, at least for me. I think I have a harder time with the whole social media stuff. And so making friends was a, a really difficult thing for me this, this past year. And so putting all of this together, it was pretty tough. Um, it was really, really tough. And so now, you know, that the second year is about to begin, I'm feeling very excited, very hopeful. Uh, this past summer, I really took time for myself and I was able to be put in situations where I was able to heal a little bit and go back home to Mexico and, and meet with family and kind of be nurtured again uh, but also I got to do a couple of programs with for example the National Hispanic Institute that got to boost my confidence a little bit more and, and you know remind me of, of the things that I'm capable of and so after this summer I'm feeling energized again I'm feeling hopeful and optimistic about this coming year and just to you know I think the biggest thing that I'm looking forward to is definitely just meeting everybody meeting new people that I can go play basketball with that I can go and talk to that I can go have midnight you know food runs with people like you all too that are going to be able to you know, push me to, to be a better student, be a better community leader. So, I mean, it's easy. Just meeting new people is going to be the best thing that's going to happen these coming months. Wow. That's a really awesome, a really awesome, like, takeaway to bring into Stanford. And I am so excited to meet you too. Before I go into my last question, Nicole, is there anything you wanted to ask? No, I just want to say, Fabian, thank you so much for sharing everything. I think it's incredible that you we're just able to be so vulnerable with us. You barely know us, but I'm glad that we have like a sort of, you know, community feel. Um, and, you know, I just resonated with a lot about what you said um, in terms of this year, just being a challenge. I don't know. I feel like Stanford tried its hardest to support us, but at the end of the day, like socializing and having, you know, a network in your college life is the most important part, arguably, of college. And I don't think that they gave us, you know, that much support. So yeah, I just think we're, we're kind of all at a point where we're ready to meet new people. And I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm so glad that I just got to hear this perspective now. Um, and I'm really excited to meet. It's going to be great. Yeah, for sure. Likewise. Yeah. I think a lot of what you said is going to resonate really strongly with like all the listeners. I mean, it did with me with the highest highs, well, to like lowest lows. I think everyone is just going through a lot. So sharing your perspectives, I really appreciate that you were able to really put yourself out there. Yeah, for sure. I think especially with Latino culture, Mexican culture, which is where I'm from, there's this big, you know, thing of machismo where you can't be vulnerable or whatever. But I realize I'm an open book. I just stopped fighting it. You know, um, I love talking to people and hearing people's perspectives and getting like help too. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm an open book. Love that. Okay, so our last question, another one of yours. Um, tell us about your favorite Halloween costume. <laughs> I don't know you were gonna flip these questions on me. I wasn't prepared. I think like my most fond one, um, just because I remember the most, it was a, just a fun time in my life was, uh, and I wore this costume like three, four times. Um, it was like a super buff version of Spider-Man. And so I was this like tiny kid. I had to be like four or five with like super big arms because it had like a whole bunch of like cotton inside of it. Uh, and, and I just love Spider-Man too. 
And so I felt so cool in that costume. And the thing is, so Halloween was special. And, and this question came to mind because Halloween was a really kind of complicated time for me because my dad actually is someone that, um, he's gotten better, but my dad is someone that was very strictly like, you are Mexican, you're not American at all. You're not a uh, part of this country. You're not white or anything. You're Mexican, not Mexican-American, not anything like that, right? And so for him, it was always, you know, instead of Halloween, you have to celebrate Dia de Muertos. Um, and like, there's no way around that. But my mom, she was more kind of flexible to that and more interested in decorating the house for Halloween, but also letting me partake in that. And so growing up, I had years where I would alternate whether or not I would do Halloween and stuff like that. And so when I did get to do Halloween, just as a kid, you know, getting to go get candy was uh, the best thing ever. So Halloween was pretty complicated for me. Um, but this costume was one that like my dad bought for me. And so it was like, kind of like a, a big sign of like, okay, he's loosening up a little bit. And my mom also didn't take Halloween as a joke. You know, she knew these spots to go to where we could get the biggest candy bars. Um, <laughs> and so I just have a, have a very special memory of me having that costume, like all dirty with chocolate on the side and just living life as a kid. That's a really cute story. I'm glad we ended with that. And I'm glad you asked that question in your form submission. I think they're really important questions to ask. No, actually, like you've been thinking very deeply about all this stuff. Um, Halloween costumes, furniture, so appreciate it. I want to stop the recording now, but thank you so Mm -hmm. much, Fabian, for like all of this, for sharing your story and like really getting deep in literally like 15 minutes with us. Yeah, no, it's, it's a great opportunity. I'm excited to hear about everybody else's stories too. I'm sorry, I'm kind of all over the place. I'm not really a professional podcast host, but whenever you're ready, you can just go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, my name is Serena Deb. I use she, her pronouns. I'm a junior at Stanford University studying political science with minors in psychology and human rights, and I'm originally from the Bay Area, California. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. Would you first start by telling us a little bit about how you chose your major and minors and what you hope to do with that in the future? Sure. So I've always been really interested in political science. I, in high school, I got a chance to work for my congresswoman, Jackie Spear of the 14th District of California. And from there, I became fascinated by political systems, by healthcare policy, immigration, criminal justice, civil rights, and women's rights. And I decided that I wanted to study these issues more in depth and gain a better understanding of how our political system works and serves the people that make up our system. So I decided to major in political science. And I also have always been interested in human rights and civil rights. So that felt like a natural minor to go to and fell in love with psychology when I took psych one at Stanford, thought it was super fascinating. So decided to minor in psych as well. Still haven't taken a ton of psych classes, but I'm really excited to take more. Awesome. Great. Next, I'll just ask, like, going out after the academics, listing off a few of your favorite classes at Stanford and anything you would recommend or any professors that have really stood out, specifically who are really into social justice. Sure. Yeah. 
Absolutely. So one class that I love that I took was with Michelle Dauber, one in five, the campus politics of sexual assault. Um, I learned a ton from that class. I actually got to create an interactive website where survivors can find resources through a final project for that class and found other passionate advocates in that class. I would definitely recommend it to anyone who's curious about learning how sexual assault affects psychological, physical, mental well-being of survivors and what we can do to change the, the policies and the laws that govern the way we approach sexual assault on campus and how the institutions sometimes fail us in those cases. So I would definitely recommend that class. I've also taken a few other classes that I thought were fantastic and especially related to politics and social justice. I took the Future of Global Cooperation, which looks at international organizations and our role as the U.S. in this international community. And I learned about how we can protect international human rights and civil rights uh, through international organizations. So I definitely recommend that class with Julia Spiegel. And then the last class I would say that definitely caught my eye was the class, The Feminist Critique, that focuses on uh, social justice in terms of women's rights and the history of feminism in the United States and the greatest thinkers on that subject area. And we got to also do a a really cool final project where we investigated uh, the comfort woman of Korea during um, the Japanese invasion of Korea and how they were essentially used and sold into, into sex slavery and what we can do to change the narrative around that. So that was a great class and I've taken a lot of great classes, but those are three of my favorites. Awesome, that's so great. Thanks for those recommendations. Next, I'd like to ask about outside of academics, how you've navigated the Stanford social and club extracurricular life and kind of figured out what your interests are and where you want to spend your time outside of classes and just any advice for people who are trying to figure out their specific home within the campus community, if you have any top clubs besides Stanford ACLU that have really stood out and been impactful uh, for you personally. Yeah, for sure. So I'm heavily involved with a few different clubs on campus, the first being Stanford in Government, which has been a really awesome experience to engage with other students in discourse around politics and social issues. I'm the director of special events for that club, so I do a lot of hosting speakers, interviewing everyone from Julian Castro to Susan Rice. And I would recommend that if some if you're interested in politics and social justice, and if you're looking for an opportunity to be a leader in those issues or on campus. Also, I've kind of found a niche exploring social justice through journalism through the Stanford Daily. So I lead a section called the Equity Project, which is dedicated to bringing awareness to underrepresented voices and exploring social justice issues. So we focus on issues like gentrification, policing, and criminal justice reform, women's rights. Um, So through that club, I've been able to pursue my passion for social justice and the issues that I care about through editing and writing articles that pertain to important issues on campus and in the world at large. Um, And then I would also say I've been involved with sexual violence prevention activism, which would recommend uh, for anyone coming into Stanford who is not sure what they're interested in to not be afraid to try out something new if something looks interesting to you and to really talk to older students who are working and 
actively leading other clubs to figure out if that's something you might be interested in and how they can support you. Seek out good mentors for that kind of stuff. And definitely don't be afraid of getting rejected from a club. I know the process can be a little intimidating at Stanford because clubs are a lot of applications and interviews and stuff like that, but it's definitely important to put yourself out there and don't just do the things that you did in high school. Feel free to expand your horizons and find opportunities that you think would be interesting to you or that made you excited to apply to Stanford. That's such great advice. Thanks for that. I'm sure I would have appreciated to hear that before I came to Stanford four years ago. Next, talking about pre-professional planning and experiences that you've had. Do you have any advice about how to make the most of your summers in between Stanford and also now that we're kind of in this I'm not going to say the word unprecedented, but crazy world where a lot of people have been able to take on part-time opportunities virtually. If you have any advice about how to look for a summer internship and, you know, get a summer internship that's really competitive um, and just kind of talking us through your experiences of what you've done during your summers. Sure. So this summer I interned for Senator Cory Booker in his DC office. Unfortunately, it wasn't in DC because it was remote, but nevertheless, an incredible experience. I got to work on civil rights issues on the civil rights portfolio and social justice issues, such as the Native American Voting Rights Act, the Black Women's Equal Pay Day, policing reform, mental health policy. So that was an incredible experience. And I would recommend um, that to anyone who is interested in politics and getting their voice heard through going through the system in political issues. Last summer, I worked at a nonprofit called Equal Rights Advocates, where I also did social justice advocacy and worked on civil rights issues, such as sexual violence survivor rights. That was also an amazing experience. So my advice for a student who is seeking out summer opportunities would be to leverage the connections you have or anyone that you know, feel free to reach out to people for informational interviews to see if that's a career path you might be interested in and really take advantage of those connections to see if you can find internships that that you're interested in or that you're passionate about. And don't be afraid to kind of do something that's a little off of your major track or your career path. It might be something that you end up loving and realize that you wanna go into. So I'd say think about the issues that you care about, think about the ways that you can have the most impact and go forth and figure out which organizations, institutions, government jobs kind of fit the vision that you see for yourself in making an impact in the world. Awesome. So let's talk about your interest in Stanford ACLU. Obviously, we're still kind of in the beginning stages of our club due to so many kind of administrative hurdles we've had to jump through. Um, but would you mind talking about why you first we're interested in joining Stanford at ACLU and what you think we can bring to the community. Of course, yeah. I was so excited when I saw that there was a Stanford ACLU club because the ACLU kind of perfectly aligns with the fusion of my interests, which are like civil rights, law, social justice, advocacy. And I think the ACLU is a fantastic organization that has transformed the way we think about American social issues and politics. And I think it's great that Stanford students are bringing leadership towards advancing civil rights, both on campus and in the broader community. So I was really excited to be a part of it and to get to join the club. I think that the ACLU will bring a lot of really important 
issues to the Stanford community, such as, you know, educational rights and rights of students, as well as protesting for certain issues that we care about. And I think sometimes Stanford has kind of like different spheres of students who are have varying interests in social justice and politics, but I think it'd be great for an organization to take leadership on inspiring students to get involved with social justice and politics and civil rights um, and encouraging people to get involved and work on issues that they care about and kind of having a central place to organize around potential topics that um, are of interest to them. So I think it's going to contribute a lot to the Stanford community um, and I'm really excited to see where it goes. Awesome. That's so great. Those are the main content-based questions that I have. Um, but all I have to say is thank you for, you know, being our, a great first guest on the podcast. Woo! We're learning as we go. Okay, so let's do um, your generic fun fact that you always give when you're asked to provide a fun fact. Probably that I used to play the electric cello. Okay. You stopped though. I don't have it anymore. I had one at my school, but I don't have my own, but I do play regular cello. Okay. That's cool. Um, What are you most excited about when we go back to campus? Just like the spontaneity of like the second tier interactions you have with people that you may not be like best friends with, but that you get to see in the halls in classes and just to connect with those people. Um, silver lining of the pandemic? Um, definitely spending more time with my family and my dog. Yeah, I feel like we'll have to give a disclaimer before that. Like there is no silver lining, but if there is one, it's a family time for sure. Um, let's see your favorite Stanford memory or tradition. Um, I really like how, I don't know if this is just a thing that happens in the freshman dorms, but I love how on people's birthdays, we put them in the shower and roll them out. Um, I think it's very fun. Yeah, it's fun. It o- I think it only passes freshman year because after that, it's just painful. <laughs> Luckily, my birthday's in the summer, so I lucked out and didn't have to go through that, but. Me too. <laughs> yeah, that's so good. So good. Okay, let's see what else. Favorite study spot on campus? Uh, the Law Library Terrace. That just gave me chills thinking about studying there. It's so exciting. Um, preferred mode of transportation to class at 10, 29 in the morning when everyone is circling the circle of death. How do you get, get there? I absolutely hate biking, so I'm going to say walking. Walk? Oh, my gosh. You would be running at that point, definitely. Yeah, probably. Awesome. Do you have your classes picked out for this fall yet? Uh, Not yet. I've been looking, but don't have them set in stone. Okay, dream job? Civil rights lawyer for the ACLU. On brand, very good. So you're planning to go to law school? What's your um, mindset there? Are you going to try and apply before you graduate or take some time off? Uh, I think I'll take the LSAT next year and apply while I'm a senior, but maybe take some time off in between. Awesome. 
Okay. Um, am I frozen? Sorry. Okay. Maybe Serena's frozen. As usual, we ran into some Zoom issues, but thank you so much to Serena for sharing your valuable insights about Stanford Life. So it is recording. Um, hi, Natalie. Thanks for joining us today. Do you mind just like starting off with a brief introduction, like who you are, um, your major, what you're doing? Yeah. So thank you so much, first of all, for having me on. This is Natalie, and I'm from Santa Fe, New Mexico. It's a very small town in the desert southwest region, but it's absolutely home. I have a lot of pride in being a New Mexican, and I'm majoring in international relations at Stanford and, made, and minoring in human rights, and interested in pursuing, at least right now, I'm thinking a career in international criminal law or international human rights law. I'm just really excited to also kind of apply um, principles of, of law and human rights in the ACLU uh, sphere, too. And it's already been such an amazing experience to be part of the organization, and of course, with such amazing people, too. So I'm, I'm learning a lot, and uh, definitely it's inspiring me even more to want to go to law school and practice law. So it's been a great experience so far. Oh, thanks. Like, thanks so much. That's such a lovely intro. Um, I guess I'll start off by asking, you can take some time to think about this too, but if you could be any furniture, what furniture would you be? Oh my God. The hardest questions first. Okay. (laughs) Oh, wow. I could be any furniture. Hmm. I think I would be, wow, that's a really good question. If I had to pick like a furniture that best represented me, (laughs) um, I think it would probably be like a dresser because this sounds like very, uh, I don't know, like kind of corny, but I feel like initially I'm someone who kind of doesn't open up a lot or, you know, just like doesn't have a lot of like external, um, like, you know, I don't know, like I keep things internally for a while. And then when you open it up, there's so much stuff inside. So (laughs) I think I would be a dresser. (laughs) Wow. That was very poetic for a very honest spot answer. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) That was a hard question. No, it is tough because it's like, when are you ever in a situation where you have to like associate with a piece of furniture? Like, (laughs) it is a very strange question, Um, but you answered it beautifully. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) okay so what um inspired you to get into law and like pursue IR and criminal law um and also like join the ACLU yeah I think there are several things the first was pretty formative and just kind of the way that I viewed the law and also kind of viewed it in in seeing it as sort of deficient as it currently stands and That was definitely from my mom's experience when I was growing up because she 
was working at this organization and she had been working there for, I think like 10 years or something like that. Um, and she learned that she, for all the time that she'd been working, she'd been paid less than the men who were in the same position as she had, as she was in. And so she sued for unequal pay and there was a class action and she was the lead plaintiff in the class action. And basically everyone, but my mom settled. And so they had to sign NDAs. And then also um, they uh, basically were paid off in the sense that they just got one dump of, of cash, but then nothing was actually changed within the company to, you know, to adjust for the unequal pay because a lot of women were being paid less, but nothing was actually changed. And so my mom, because of that, she decided not to take the settlement and then filed as an individual plaintiff against the the company and lost, like lost, you know, everything and spent all, you know, a lot of her personal money uh, put it into the lawsuit and just lost. And I think seeing my mom go through that and it was years and really painful for her because she had to just live through people questioning her abilities and trying to make justifications for why she wasn't being paid you know the amount that she deserved and it was also just really tough to see the loss too and it was a loss that you know is confusing as a child because it seemed like she was right but the law denied her that sense of justice and so I think that was very formative in my desire to to actually, you know, jump in and, and use the law and hopefully try to evolve the way that the law is applied in order to actually achieve justice. And I think also seeing the impact that the law does have on a person's sense of, you know, dignity is, is really huge for me. So being able to kind of deliver that sense of justice is really important to me as well. Um, and so I think that that's definitely what has drawn me to like human rights law and, and just civil rights law in general, especially also in the United States, just seeing the way that the law can be used for really great, good things, but also the way that it can be manipulated and sometimes is deficient. And I just, I, I'm just really drawn to the power that that law has. And I, really would love to, you know, have personal knowledge and capacity to wield that power. <laughs> um, and I just think the ACLU is an organization that does that so, so well. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's an insane yeah. story. Your mom is such a powerhouse. Like, wow. Yeah. And I'm, I'm so sorry she went through all that, but being able to yeah. like, stick through it and continue like fighting for your values, even after seeing everyone settle and like drop off. That takes so much guts. And if anything, the work you're doing now, yeah, it seems like it's really influenced by your mother. So Uh wow, that is insane. Your mom is so cool. Yeah, she's really awesome. And and you're right. It is. She's taught me so much about, I mean, really doing what's right against such heavy pressure and incentive to Mm -hmm. kind of violate your personal principles for you know monetary gain or or just because it's easier mm-hmm. and she really is the person who has instilled in me the importance in maintaining your principles and 
not just taking the easy way out of things, you know? Wow. That is so yeah. cool. Ah, thank you so yeah. much for sharing that story. That's an, that's yeah. a really, really inspiring story. Okay. So I'm going to shift gears a little bit into Stanford. Yeah. yeah. I just, I know we can't get into everything in these few minutes, but can you tell me about your experiences at Stanford on campus, but also this past year, how that was, um, and any learnings and how you're going to approach getting back on campus, anything you're yeah. excited for in particular? Yeah, totally. Well, I think <laughs> looking back on the time that I was on campus, it is such a special, special place. And I think my my care for Stanford, and people, people say this uh, a lot, but it is or is attached to the people, you know, like the people really, really make Stanford, at least for me, home. And I just look back on times at campus and being able to just anybody that I met and immediately have just incredible, broad ranging, but also really deep and meaningful conversations and learning so much from people. And it's just really cool to be around individuals who are so curious about the world and who also have a sense of inspiration or desire and a creativity that is just really intoxicating and it just makes me want to just unleash you know all my imagination because it feels like anything is possible and it was just amazing to kind of be in this hub of energy but also with that being said I think going off campus because of the pandemic was also an important sort of reset in the sense that Stanford also has that just go-go culture all the time and the energy that is also inspiring is exhausting (laughs) and I think I, I didn't realize exhausting that level of activity all the time actually is um and i think in the scheme of things having to go back home and take a deep breath and have everything sort of on pause really really get sort of safe from just burning out and running out of fuel because i i think about like the pace that I was working at and I don't know how I would have continued doing that for like two more years I don't even know how I did that for like a year and a half (laughs) essentially and so I think it was it was this time during the pandemic it, it gave me a moment to think about how to actually prioritize and organize my time in a sustainable and healthy way and so i focusing more on on just putting effort into the subjects or the professors that I really felt drawn to and not feeling like I have to just do everything and um, joining organizations or other commitments that really, really mattered to me. And so kind of doing a sorting, a self-sorting and self-reflecting on what I really wanted to have in my life to, to lift me up and not just kind of have to pull along because I think that it is it's what I'm supposed I think um that was that that whole process has been really really helpful and I feel 
much better going back to Stanford this year and knowing now that I've built up that mental awareness to be okay with saying no to things and really seeking out what makes me happy. And so I'm really excited to go back to campus and see, you know, like what, what that can bring in practice, if that makes sense. Thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate that you brought that up because I, I really resonate too. I think we're so used to doing yeah. everything that we can, that when we're yes. on campus, it's like in a place where you could do everything and you can do anything. It's way more important and way harder to figure out what it is you want to do out of like all of it. So I'm yes. glad you, you figured it out and you're coming into campus with that intentionality. Yeah, no, absolutely. It is really important. And I think it's, it's sometimes hard to but it is so critical. Whatever you're doing at Stanford is enough. Like it's okay. (laughs) Even if it's even it's, and it's okay to not do, it's okay to do nothing too. That is also important. It is important to do nothing and enjoy the nothingness and getting to a place where I could legitimately enjoy not doing anything took like a long amount of time. Um, so I think it's, it is really important to be okay with how you are, what you're doing, and not always having to seek more. You know, it's okay. It's enough. It's enough. <laughs> yes, I love that message. I'm just going to second the hell out of that. Um, yeah. <laughs> thank you yeah. for yeah, thank you for saying that. I think that's not said at all. Like you never hear it. You just hear about all the stuff people are doing, but it's so yeah. important to like take it slow and evaluate what you want. Otherwise, you're just caught up doing like what you think you should do, but at the expense yeah. of you know mental health and other things you could be doing, um, like Absolutely. I don't know, talking to cool people at ACLU, going to cool events. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yep, yeah, exactly. Yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right, final question. Um, yes. What has been your favorite Halloween costume? Oh. Close, open with a good one, close with a good one. But okay, let me think. My favorite Halloween costume. Well, okay. So when I was in what, like middle school or late elementary school, like sixth grade, I don't know what. I loved it and I love Captain Jack Sparrow. He is so cool to me. What a cool character. And so I went as Captain Jack Sparrow as a pirate for Halloween two years in a row. And it was just awesome. I just, I mean, dressing up in general, I've always loved to dress up. But I feel like the dressing up and wearing super dark eyeliner and all these cool things and having a fake sword and um, acting like a, you know, like a rebel was really awesome. And <laughs> it was just, it was a cool experience to, to see what dressing up can do to your own internal, like self perception, the way that you act also towards others just for one night. But it's so, it was kind of liberating to be a pirate, you know, if that makes sense. Um, just like no rules and a renegade. It was really awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds like such a cool costume, and I want to. I want to see yeah. this with Rebel Natalie. Um. Yeah, <laughs> maybe I'll be a pirate this Halloween. Who knows? Oh my gosh! Yes, <laughs> bring it back. Yeah, bring it back out. Yeah, yeah. that's an idea. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much for joining me on this call, and yeah, we really appreciate like everything you shared. 
Thank you so, so much. This is really, really awesome. And it's always so nice to talk to you, Ari. So thank you.